Thank you so much, team. I love that anthem that because he lives, we can face tomorrow, we can face anything because he lives. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to join me in Genesis chapter 22. I read the passage just a few moments ago, Genesis chapter 22, and our theme today around the Word is that God has provided. God has provided. I brought uh, a memory from my childhood with me today. I love these things. Uh, Does anybody know what this thing is called? Viewmaster, right? They're so good. And, and I, I didn't realize till not too long ago, like, they're still a thing. Like, he, I went to a store and got one. Uh, and so if you grew up with one of these or you have one of these in your home or maybe even now you're like, hey, on the way home, we're going to swing by and pick up one of those. I, I forgot what those were like. Uh, you just, you know, you, you put it up and you look towards the light and like you might see uh, an elephant, right? You just click the picture and you see... Uh, this elephant, or you click again, the next picture uh, might be a northern rockhopper penguin. Uh, and, and then the next picture you might see is a, 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 a golden mantella frog. And you click again, and, and you see a great white shark. And I'll just stop right there, uh, because as you look at these pictures, initially it's like, what do these things have in common? I mean, there's an elephant and a golden frog. Like, what does that have to do with anything? But as you look at the pictures, as you keep clicking through the pictures, you study the pictures, you might even take the cartridge out and study the cartridge, what you realize is that there is a theme that connects what these seemingly unrelated pictures, it actually brings them all together. And that theme, at least in this case, is called endangered species. So uh, that's what holds all of these pictures together. And the reason I share that with the Viewmaster this morning is because it, it is very possible that uh, when people pick up their Bibles, uh, these Bibles, uh, the Bible is full of stories. And so you, you open your Bible and maybe you open to Genesis chapter 1 and you see that in the beginning God created. And, and so you just kind of have this image in your mind of of, of this story that happened and the story of how everything began. And then you flip a few more pages and you see and read about how God uh, parted a sea and allowed His people to walk across on dry ground. Just how amazing that, that moment must have been. Or you flip around and you find also in the Old Testament where there was a guy named Noah and he built an ark and the rains prevailed on the earth for 40 days, 40 nights, and how uh, God guided this man and his family through such a tumultuous time. And then you flip over towards the New Testament and you read about the Christmas story and, 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 and the nativity scene there and how Christ, the long-awaited Savior, was born. And then on Easter, uh, we obviously... Uh, our minds go to this the story as it's laid out in the Gospels of the cross and the empty tomb. And what, what can happen is, is we can see our Bibles and we can see what may initially seem as these unrelated stories, like from whether it's creation and knowing the ark or God's people walking across on dry land, the nativity and the empty tomb. What can at first seem like they don't really all go together, the reality is they absolutely go together. 
that the more you read the Word, the more you familiarize with your stories, the more you pray through the Word, and what you begin to see is that there is a theme that runs from Genesis all the way through the Bible to Revelation. That there are 66 books in our Bible written over a period of 1,500 years, 40 authors inspired by the Holy Spirit, written in three different continents, in three different languages. And yet, from Genesis to Revelation, there is one theme that rises up connecting all of these stories in the Bible together, and it is the theme of redemption. And it is all pointing to the hero of all Scripture, King Jesus And as we look at the Word, what I would like us to do is to go back to one of those Old Testament stories in Genesis 22 and really read this in light of Easter and see how even in this Genesis 22 narrative that it actually points us to the sacrifice who would once and for all take our place and pay the price for our sin. And so as we get started, a little background before we just jump into Genesis 22. uh, The Bible begins in Genesis 1, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. Out of nothing, God created. And He created man in His image. Genesis 1.27 reminds us that God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Everything was perfect. They experienced a perfect relationship and perfect communion with the Father. But if you're familiar with the story, as we get into Genesis chapter 3, there was a deceiver. Uh, The tempter comes and whispers lies into the ear of Eve. And ultimately, Adam and Eve take of what's called the forbidden fruit. You see, God is a loving, gracious, heavenly Father. And like any loving, gracious, heavenly Father, if you're going to enjoy life, there needs to be some protective barriers, some guardrails. And so God has given His creation a few guardrails. Really, not many. Just don't eat. But they couldn't help themselves. They had to buy into the lie. Does God really say that? Did he really say not eat? And so you find them eating and you find in that moment everything changes. They rebel from God's design. God has a design. He has a, 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 he blesses those who live within his design. But when you step outside of that design, we see what happens. It lands them in a place of guilt and shame. And so even in that setting, you see that now Man and and woman's eyes are open to their rebellion. And what do they do? They run and hide. They're ashamed. And so they run and hide. And what does God do? God in His love and His grace pursues them in their brokenness and rebellion. And He actually sacrifices an animal. There is blood that was shed so that coverings could be made from Adam and Eve to hide their shame. You see, even from the beginning, the Bible points to the Messiah who would come and who would shed His blood and be sacrificed on the cross so that we could be covered, so that we could be forgiven. But as you continue to follow that account, you see the fall detailed in Genesis 3. And it is the answer for why we look around in our worlds, in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, 
And every single one of us see broken things that are happening, but you can trace every act of brokenness to its root. And what you will find is it is when mankind has gone their own way. They have departed from God's design. And in the Bible, again, Genesis, Revelation, you see God, this theme of redemption, God pursuing His people, having a right relationship with them. And the whole Bible points us to the hero Jesus and to the empty tomb. And so the main idea this morning of our message is that God has provided the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I could live. God has provided the ultimate sacrifice. So let's look at Genesis 22. We'll start in verse 1 in light of the cross and the empty tomb. The Bible says this, After these things God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This is the ultimate testing of faith. It's even hard to go to that passage and read that and we're like, are we even hearing this correctly? We absolutely are hearing this correctly. God is calling Abraham to sacrifice his son. But the problem is, when we read Genesis 22 all by itself, it can seem very confusing. But when we look at Genesis 22 in light of all of Scripture, we begin to see that there's a message that God is pointing us toward. You see, for Abraham, he had had a life of faith, a life of testing. And he passed some of those tests, and he failed some of those tests. Uh, But in this testing of faith, this was the the ultimate. And just even to go back in our minds that God chose Abraham. And at the age of 75, God called Abraham to leave everything he knew. Everything that was familiar to him. In Genesis 12, verses 2-4, through God told Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Which, by the way, that's us. That's us. Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. To which I just think it's a good time to call a quick time out and just say, I don't know how old you are, not asking anybody, but if you're 75... Your life could just be getting good right now, okay? So, so, so I love how regardless of age, God has a design, He has a plan. And so He promises Abraham a son. If you continue in Genesis 15 verses 4 and 6, the Bible says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven, the num- number of the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offering, offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. So I want us kind of walk, we're going to get to Genesis 22, but I want us to walk a little bit through that faith journey with Abraham. God called him at age 75, leave everything you know and look at the stars. Your offspring will number the stars countless. So on into Genesis 17, verses 4 through 8. 
God says, Behold, my covenant is with you to Abraham, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of a multitude of nations, which I can't help it, but don't you just want to sing that Father Abraham had many sons? If you grew up hearing that song, I'll spare you, okay? But, but sometimes our, our, our minds go to that song. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And listen to verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. After, covenant, after you throughout the gener- their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And then in verse 19, just a little bit longer, and this is what I want us to, to hear in Genesis 22 as we head there. God said... No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. I want us to keep in mind, God has already made a promise to Abraham. He's already made a promise through your son Isaac. I will establish my everlasting covenant with you. And so can you imagine Abraham, 100 years old, has a baby boy. Sarah, 90 years old. You almost see him like with the walker coming, like going on like, hey, we got it, it's a boy. You know, like there, this is the son of promise. And I love, I love what Warren Wiersbe says, because what we just read from Genesis 22 verse 1 It seems like it doesn't make a lot of sense. I share this, but I love what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, as believers, we live by promises and not by explanations. And I love that word. That is such an encouragement to us as believers. We don't live by explanations, but we live by promises. And so what did Abraham do when God called him to this this ultimate act of faith? He got up early. To obey. Look at verse 3. The Bible says in Genesis 22, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. What did Abraham do? Not delay, not negotiate, Not rationalize, but rather he rose up early. And and my hunch is, as many folks as gathered here this morning, that it's very possible God has been working in your life. And God, through the work of His Holy Spirit, has been revealing areas of your life. Steps of faith. Steps of obedience He's inviting you into. But maybe it doesn't all make sense. You don't know how it's all going to work out. But yet, what do we see? We see Abraham rising early because we all know we can rationalize disobedience all day long. We can justify why we would not respond early in the morning, but rather let's wait one more week and just see how everything shakes out. The mind has an infinite capacity to rationalize. 
But yet God's command is clear. But yet Abraham has the promise. God is faithful. And he knows that. And so for him, there was no excuses. Again, there was no negotiations. He pushes all of that to the side. And he's going to follow. And, and, and the Bible says over in Hebrews 11 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith is that place of believing and trusting even when we can't see everything. And so Abraham is stepping out in faith and he's trusting, to which I would encourage all of us today, that if we're waiting for everything to just fall in place and everything to look like we hope it does before we take this act of obedience, the reality is, is God is inviting and calling us to obey Him no matter what. No matter what. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes And he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there. I love this. And worship. And come again to you. Again, Abraham has the promise. God has called him to sacrifice his son. But he has the promise. And he doesn't know how all this, all this is going to work out, but what he's telling the guys is, hey, me and Isaac, we're going to sacrifice, but we're coming back. Like Even if God raised Isaac from the dead or however it's going to happen, he doesn't have all of the details. He just knows what God has promised him, and he knows they're going, and he knows that they are coming back because God made an everlasting covenant with Isaac. And God is faithful to keep His word. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said in verse 8, God will provide for Himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them together. Let that ring in our ears through the rest of this passage. God will provide a lamb. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood And then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. I'm a dad. Four kids. Excuse me, five kids. (laughs) My youngest doesn't, isn't old enough to understand yet. So shh. Um, Five kids. Amber, I got five kids. We have five kids. Okay. Uh, and, and so here's the deal. I'm a dad. I love my kids. I love my kids. And I can't, I'll say, I can't imagine what was swirling through Abraham's heart as a father. I, I, I can't even begin to imagine the weight that he experienced in that moment. But given everything we know in the text, that we can, we can rightfully uh, assume that, that this is not a young boy. Isaac is not a young boy. Rather, he's, he's, a, he's more of a young man. Uh, you say, why? Well, he, he, he bared the weight of the wood as it was being carried up the mountain for worship. 
Uh, not only that, everything we see is that he willingly laid down his life, that there's no resisting what would have probably been his dad would have been around 120 years old at that time. Like we just we don't see that. We see this son is willingly laying down his life as an act of worship. And verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is always perfect. And God's provision also is met at the point of our obedience. God's blessing His provision. What do you see? You see Abraham has taken every step of obedience, every step of obedience, up into this moment of everything is going to change. But in that moment, God provides of all animals a ram that happens to be hung by his horns in a, in a thicket. I, I don't know what that looks like, but can you imagine the angel speaking? And there's the ram. There's the substitute. There's the one that will be sacrificed instead of Isaac. So as we look at this text, we see God's providence and provision at the place of obedience. And so it is very possible to struggle at times with Maybe not sensing God's blessing or, or like desiring God's blessing, but it's kind of like, I'm not going to presume to even say what that is or what that might look like. I just know when we live in God's design, we experience His blessing. And so it's possible to want that, but it could be this living outside of His design and His way. And so He shows that His blessing comes in the area of obedience and His design the Bible says in verse 13, And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided or it will be provided. That the ram was sacrificed instead of his son. And this place we will call Jehovah Jireh, God my provider. And the question that I want to share as we look at Genesis 22 is, do you see the Easter story? Do you see the Easter story? Do you see the Father and His only Son? One of the most famous verses that, that, that has ever been shared, or perhaps for many of us has been buried down in our heart, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We see the Father and the Son. We also see early in the text, where did God tell Him to go? The land of Moriah. The land of Moriah. It just so happens that 1,000 years from Genesis 22, there would be a king named David. And King David would purchase this mountain called Moriah. And it would not be, though it was his desire to build a temple, that wasn't God's plan for his life, but it was God's plan for his son Solomon's life. So Solomon builds a temple on that spot. 
On that mountain, on the place God will provide, he builds Solomon's temple. It's a beautiful temple. It stood for 400 years until the Babylonians came in and destroyed everything. But 70 years later, God's people were able to return and they rebuilt the temple that stood on that mountain. And then at the turn of the century, there was a king named Herod and he came and he built on top and around this temple mount, and it became, a new, it became known as Herod's temple. The same Herod's temple in Jerusalem. The same temple mount that if you go to Jerusalem today, you can stand on top of. It's the same temple that just one week ago, we celebrated what's called Palm Sunday. It, it marks the, the day when Christ was saddled on the donkey, fulfilling age-old prophecy as they came shouting, Hosanna, glory in the highest. And here he comes into the city of Jerusalem. And you know where he goes? As soon as he gets in the city, he goes straight to this temple. Straight to the place. And he clears it out. And he proclaims that this place, that temple, had become something it was never intended to be. But we see the Father and His only Son. We see the land of Moriah. We see the wood that was cut for sacrifice. The wood was cut for offering, for sacrifice. We know that when Christ was, uh, was the, the sentence was given to, to Christ, that they played, He carried His own cross down a pathway called the Via Della Rosa. It means the way of suffering or the path of suffering, and yet it would be Him that would bear the weight of this wood up to the mountain to sacrifice. But not even just the physical weight, but think about the weight of the sin of the world that He bore on His shoulders. Isaiah 53, 6 says, And we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. But not just the Father and His only Son, not just the land of Moriah, not just the wood that was cut for sacrifice, but on two occasions in Genesis 22, we see that the Father and Son went together. This was a plan that was set in motion from eternity past. This was not a, oh no, what are we going to do? We got to figure this out. We got to get a plan together. Oh, I... No, this, this plan was set in motion before God ever created the earth, mankind. His plan was set, and the plan was the only suitable sacrifice to absorb the wrath our sin deserves is Himself. And so we see in 1 John 4.14, and they have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. But not only that do we see, we see Abraham says a lamb will be promised. A lamb will be promised. Back in chapter 22, verse 8, God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. When Jesus launched his earthly ministry, he launched his earthly ministry uh, by being baptized by John the baptizer. And John the baptizer in John chapter 1, the moment he sees Jesus, you know what he says? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That this is the Lamb. This is the Lamb that is being pointed to. This is the place where God will provide. 
This is the place where God will satisfy the, the, the payment that our sin deserves. This is where it's going to happen. And so who was caught in a, in a thicket? A ram. That's a ram, but a lamb is coming. God is going to prepare a lamb. And then lastly, I would just see and observe that it would be the lamb that would take our place. It would be the lamb that would take our place. Again, in Genesis 22, it was a ram. What did the Bible say? It would be the ram that would be sacrificed instead of Isaac. So if we look through eyes of faith and we see the cross and the empty tomb and the not too far distant future from this moment, what we see is we, we are Isaac in the story. That we are the ones that deserve to be punished and judged for our sinfulness against a holy God. In Genesis 22, God provided a substitute. It was a ram. But Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. It all points to Calvary and to where Christ ultimately took our place on the cross and took our payment for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13-14 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. The Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but what we see in the Easter story is that God so loved the world that He came and He took our place on the cross. And for all of those who will repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Him and Him alone, He will forgive them, give them peace with God, and He will give them life and everlasting life. And how do we know He can do it? We just sang about it. An empty tomb is there to prove my Savior lives. He's the only one. He's the only one. And so when we look at the Word... Let us know that whether we open in Genesis or whether we open in Revelation or whether we open somewhere in between, the whole Bible is teaching us one story. It is the theme of redemption. It is pointing us to the hero of all Scripture, Jesus Christ. And we see what began with Adam and Adam to Seth and Seth ultimately to Noah and Noah to Shem and Shem ultimately to Abraham Abraham ultimately to Isaac. Isaac, ultimately we see Judah. We see, uh, we see Abraham, or excuse me, we see Isaac. We see the promised son Joseph. We see Judah. We see King David. We see Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, adopted father of Jesus. And we see the Messiah has come through the line faithfully fulfilling what all the Old Testament points toward and what all the New Testament is about, about King Jesus. And so, He is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And He is also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That from Judah's line, the Bible says that a lion would rise up. And in Revelation 5, 
we see that it would be the line of the tribe of Judah who alone is worthy to open the scroll that Jesus Christ, the resurrected King, is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your text. We thank You for the Bible. God, we thank You that in Your grace and in Your love, And in your providence, God, that you would send the Lamb. The Lamb that would take our place. Pay the price for our sin. And God, that not only were you crucified on the cross for our sin, but they placed your body in a borrowed tomb. And on that third day, this Easter Sunday, that we celebrate the greatest day in history... You rose from the dead, proving again you have power over death, hell, and the grave. God, we praise you that you are the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And we do praise you that you are the Lion of the tribe of Judah. God, we love you and we praise you for taking our place. In Jesus' name, amen.